the best bitch. Second rate show. Juggernaut of a podcast. Where we watch the fluff and see if we like it. One, please. Hello, and welcome to the best bitch second rate show episode two, where we flash back to one. Wandom? <laughs> oh my god, sorry. <laughs> to a random week of release and give a second chance to a film we didn't see the first time. This is Kevin, and as always, I'm joined by Jamie. Jamie, how are you? Not too bad, Kevin. Always great to be back. And Jamie, for this episode, we're joined by Will. <laughs> Yay! Well, listen, it's great to come in as a guest host, Kevin and Jamie. Great to be on. Welcome to the show. Thanks. Welcome to Thanks, the show. Jamie. I'm a big. It's great to have you here. I'm a big fan. We're doing 1989. Yes. What was going on this time? How many years ago was that? Twenty. Uh, Twenty-three. Too many. No, thirty. Forty. How many years? No, I don't not know. 40. Thirty. Thirty-three years ago. Thirty-three years ago. Three middle-aged guys tried to work out foundation maths. All right, so. Just 1990 would have been 32 years ago. 33 years ago. <laughs> 33 years ago, Kevin, I'll tell you. Right, put on your uh, uh, nostalgia hat. Because this time, 33 years ago, the Soviets were leaving Afghanistan. Thanks to Rambo. Thank three, you, I Rambo. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Rambo. Also, in other uplifting news, the Tiananmen Square massacre happened this weekend, 33 years ago. Where the, the official Chinese government figures of deaths in the Tiananmen Square massacre was 241, but other estimates range from somewhere between 800 to 4,000 deaths. My God. I remember it well from Michael Jackson's music video. Oh, oh really? Was it there? If you like video games you were playing, Dungeon Magic Sword uh, of the Elements or Bat, B-A-T, both games I have not played. Jamie, have you played either of those games or even heard of them? I've, he- I've heard of Bat. I've never played it. I want to give you another bit of news. And in Ireland, the major bit of news from this week, back in 1989, an order was signed formed the creation of the University of Limerick, which is the first university founded since the foundation of the state. Imagine that. And later that day, DCU, the Dublin City University, was also created. So UL and DCU were ordered to be created on this day. It state. took the time, didn't they? Wait until the 80s to mm-hmm. have a university. The very end of the 80s. To another, another university. It's the first university since the foundation of the state. Isn't that mad? What was number one in the Irish charts? You want to know what number one in the Irish charts was? No. It was Heart and Soul by the Irish rock band No Sweat. I have no memory of this song. Or <laughs> Neither this do band. I. <laughs> Neither do I. <laughs> Shit banter. Tell us what was going on in the box office. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, shit banter. <laughs> come on, come on, come on. Right, Will, the top 10, and I'm going to count down from what was number one right down to the film that I asked you guys to watch for this episode. Number one was Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Yay. It was Great. the third film in the Indiana Jones series. I've heard of that, yeah. Directed by... Uh, Steven Spielberg and <laughs> number two was a film called No Hose Bard number three was See No Evil Hear No Evil a four was Field of Dreams five one. was Roadhouse number six was Renegades number seven was Pink Cadillac number eight was K9 number nine was Pet Cemetery. ten was Major League we're outside the top ten though so we're in flop territory if there are new releases Number 11 was Rain Man. 12 was Say Anything. 13 was Scandal. 14 was Dead Poet Society as a new 
entry. 15 was The Adventures of Baron Munchausen. And the film that I chose for us to watch was Vampire's Kiss, starring Nicolas Cage. Yes. And I'm going to roll a trailer. How was your weekend? It's all right, you know. There's nothing earth shattering. He was an ordinary guy. Morning, everyone. Morning. Looking for an extraordinary love. I'm Peter Lowe. Rachel. I brought this girl up to my place the other night. It started with a kiss. Really hot. A very special kiss. You wanted her very badly. Yeah. A kiss that could drive you mad. I hate interrupted love affairs, don't you? Yep, 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 It's affecting his work. There you are! It's a horrible, horrible job. And you have to do it. It's ruining his appetite. My next appointment with you is uh, Tuesday afternoon. I'd like to make it sooner. It's spoiling his sleep. Sooner. And don't think people haven't noticed. Am I getting through to you? Alva! He is so eccentric. My, my. For Peter Lowe. Oh, Peter. That's just love. Love? Love. In the big city. Yeah! Don't laugh. I'm a professional. I don't laugh. I'm a vampire! I'm a vampire! I'm a vampire! <laughs> Nicholas Cage. The tortures of the damned! Maria Conchita Alonso. Shoot. Do it or I'll fire you. Do you understand? Not the floor, Alva. And Jennifer Beals. You are so pathetic. Vampire's Kiss. Strange stuff. I'll never do that again. Jeez. Right. Vampire's Kiss, then. For those that aren't familiar with it, it is most popular these days for that meme of Nicolas Cage sort of gooning at the screen. He's got sort of like his head cocked back and his eyes are wide and he's got this demented smile on his face. And that was that was uh, all I knew. Jamie's doing it. About, yeah, Jamie's doing it. Uh, but I'll give you a little blurb on the film if the trailer hasn't given it all to you. It's about a publishing executive who is visited and bitten by a vampire and starts exhibiting erratic behavior. He pushes his secretary to extremes as he tries to come to terms with his affliction. The vampire continues to visit and drink his blood. And as his madness deepens, it begins to look as if some of the events he's experiencing may be hallucinations. So is he a vampire or is he just fucking mental? That's a spoiler. Come here, as usual... I and my both myself and Jamie didn't look and look up anything, so I genuinely didn't catch who directed this, who wrote this, who shot it, uh, music. So who were the background people, please? Okay, it was directed by an Englishman, Robert Bierman, and Robert Bierman, according to IMDb, is no longer working as a director. Wow, his last credits were Holby City. Uh, Waking the Dead, Casualty, The Bill. It was a really surprising sort of list of credits that I saw after coming from this film, which I thought was really assured and accomplished, to doing sort of um, filler TV. Not to be too derogatory wow. towards that kind of television. But, you know, those are those are like heightened soap operas. 
So it was a bit of a, a step down. Yeah. But yeah, he's an English guy. And all the behind the scenes pictures that I could see of him, he was wearing an eye patch. So I don't know whether he is a one-eyed man or whether he had a lazy eye. <laughs> but I thought that was a- right. Kevin, are you implying that they hired a pirate to direct this movie? <laughs> And he didn't continue directing features because he was busy on the high seas. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. You said this, so you was this a flop? Did this completely flop in the box office? It opened to 96,000 that weekend in 29 theatres. Okay. So it was a very limited release. And it ended up with a domestic, in fact, a worldwide haul of 725,000. Oh, that was a flop. It was made, though, on a budget of two million. So it looks fucking great for two million. Jesus, and Nicolas really? Cage... Oh, well. Nicolas Cage was coming off of Moonstruck, a film which, at the time, he was very disheartened by. He thought it was too soft. Now he loves it. His agents were pressuring him not to take this film because he was only going to get paid 40 grand. And Jesus. he ended up, because he loves all that, you know, oddball stuff, he ended up first passing on the project and then coming back around after he had a, a meeting with Behrman and he ended up signing on to the film and he considers this to be one of his favourite ever films that he's done and his favourite performance that he's done and he still has the Vampire's wow. Kiss car he bought a Corvette out of it out of the 40 grand and he said the car is probably still worth that much today but he'll never sell it because it's his Vampire Kiss car and he has so much affection for it but he also says that he feels he was fucking mental during the making of this film he thinks that the two of them were just egging each other on to be more and more out there. Really? When I was listening to sort of highlights from the commentary on this film, neither of them could make sense of why they made some creative choices in the film. This is the director and Cage. Is that who, yeah. yeah, the director and Cage. Okay. Like the director would say to him, when you walk in to the office the next day, I want you just to leap onto the desk and shout at your secretary. And he's like, why? And he's like, just do it. So he comes in and he leaps up onto it and he's like, what am I doing that for? I'm like Spider-Man all of a sudden. But yeah, there's a lot of those sort of creative decisions taken. Um, but what did you guys think of the film, broadly speaking? I thought it was, again, I, I never saw this until this morning. And up till now, it had, I just known it for being the source of many, many Nicolas Cage memes. A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, M, N, P. Exactly. But, uh, like, am I getting through to you? <laughs> Alva! His his line readings are... He just... He, he acts... He does all the acting in this movie. Like, he acts... He me, he's It's mega acting at its most mega. And he's just... Yeah, it's, do you know what? Uh, on a sidetrack, uh, my, my first thought to watching it was like, oh, right, I guess this was sort of like... This seems very, very similar to American Psycho. They must have, like, taken up a lot of things from it. Yeah. And then oh, you, you've got trivia here. I didn't realize American Psycho came out like a couple of years later. The book. Oh, the book. Right, right, right. But I do know the patch. The book was 91. The book was 91. I remember that book was being passed around in college and there was, um, this would have been 99, 2000. And we had a guy that was like yeah. wanting to, to um, freak out the girls by reading up passages from the book. And uh, it just sounded demented. You know, the the... I think there was a, I've never read it, but I think there was a whole chapter in the book where he puts a rat um, yeah, in a bucket and, yes. and straps it to a woman's crotch or something. Yeah. Uh, but I thought you were going to well, say something else though. I thought you were going to say about that American Christian Bale. Yeah. 
Christian Bale looked towards this film as being a, a touchstone or a reference for how he was going to approach playing Patrick Bateman. Would not surprise me. But I mean, the whole, like, it, it, the difference was that this was the American Psycho movie was the satire of the, you know, excesses of the 80s and yuppies and whatnot. Whereas this was actually filmed in the middle of that. So you can argue when yuppie asshole Nicolas Cage, who's a, a literary agent, right? That's his job. Yeah. A literary agent too turns yeah. into a bloodsucker. Oh, <laughs> there's a joke there, but it's it's too obvious. So I'm well, <laughs> Nicolas Cage sums the film up uh, a lot more elegantly. And he said that he thinks the film is just a man's loneliness and inability to find love drives him insane. And the director chose to make, you know, that typical thing of like New York as a character in the movie. But he framed every shot with the buildings looming over Nicolas Cage and constantly oppressively in the frame so that you always felt like New York was closing in on top of him and I suppose us watching it. But yeah, what did you think of it, Will? Did you love it? Oh man, I'm 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 going to reserve my final (laughs) declaration until the very end, Kevin. I'm going to reserve it. I'd hate to say it up front. (laughs) But I honestly, the first thing I thought about this film was even in the opening credits it had that those iconic 80s opening credits where you're showing the skyline you're showing the location in which the story is set which I do love but what I particularly loved about these credits is how beautifully the New York skyline is shot shot mainly at dusk with the the red setting sun it's just Oh, gorgeously shot throughout this film. Even like when Nicolas Cage is in his psychiatrist's office, they must have had like, I don't know, it must have been a massive room because yeah. when he's standing against the window, the, the skyline is almost flat against his image. So they had to have shot it with like a really long lens and a big open space to actually pull that shot off. I'm imagining, I only, I'm only guessing I'm not a cinematographer. It was, it's all Nicolas Cage. For me, I... It's got a great supporting cast though. I... Love the supporting cast. They play it so straight. But Cage goes fucking bananas in this. He does. He is the comedy. He is the epicenter of every every scene in a compelling way. <laughs> he is. He makes decisions that uh, made me guffaw. Physical Same. decisions in, in the camera that made me like guffaw watching it. And I went, oh, just dude. Because, okay, to start it off... Cage is this, you know, fucking an absolute monster of a literary agent, you've already said. He just picks up a woman, brings her home. He's a prick and he doesn't really get, he gets yeah. worse. <laughs> He's a horrible fucker. He's a bully. He's a really nasty bastard. In this. He's, he spirals. His assistant, Maria Conchita Alonso. Best known from Predator 2, to me anyway. Yeah. And Colors and a few other things. Mm-hmm. But I wanted, yeah. as you were talking about that and I said the, the cast were great, I just want to mention Elizabeth Ashley was playing his psychiatrist mm-hmm. and she's had a huge career. Uh, just watching her recently again in Russian Doll, but she was cracking me up. There's some line readings that she does where y- you've got to imagine she's got Nicolas Cage as a client and Nicolas Cage who thinks he's a vampire as a client and the way that she's deadpan <laughs> delivering some of the responses to how he's performing. I just found that 
a really hilarious uh, two-hander. How I knew this film was going to go to strange places was in that early scene where he returns to his apartment, you know, uh, with a girl he finds in a nightclub and a bat comes in to his apartment and he's kind of fascinated by this bat and he reveals to his psychiatrist that it kind of turned him on and uh, and I just went, okay, this film is going to go to fun places. You know who that girl was? Um, Cassie Lemons. Who, she is... One of the pioneers of black female filmmakers. She did Eve's Bayou. She's a very accomplished filmmaker these days. But, Most recently um, did Harriet. The, uh, Harriet the Tubman movie. movie, yeah. Harriet Tubman. Oh, wow. Yeah. I didn't know so that. So she's a filmmaker now. I guess most people would probably know her from uh, Science of the Lambs as Clary Starling's uh, best friend and colleague. I would know her as well from Candyman. She was uh, a... Oh, yes. True. That's the, one of the things I love about watching old movies is you get to see people who are at the start of their careers where it's like, oh, that's that person. That's what that's where they were, what they were doing way back 33 years ago. Yeah, she's mm. good. You can't quite understand what she's doing with a, a, a very strangely accented Nicolas Cage in this at the start of this movie. I think he's doing a yuppie accent. I think he, you can hear he's done his bit of research out in the bars of New York City where he's been in the bathrooms, I presume sharing bumps of cocaine with all various sorts of Armani-suited dudes. The accent comes and goes as well, so when he is trying to put on airs and graces is when it comes in thick. Yeah, I noticed that. It's like he's trying to impress people by sounding like, I think it, I think at some point he mentions he's from when he's talking to himself at the end, like he's from Philadelphia, but he's got a very, he, the, when he's, the, the accent is sometimes like very waspy and very, and his, again, his, his, his line reading of Tuesday, just is, I just, with all the O's in it, Tuesday. It's <laughs> hilarious. <laughs> hey, I don't know if you had the same thought as me, but it did run through my mind throughout this that you okay i think the reading of it is the reading of the film that is a story about a guy who is desperate to find love but is absolutely incapable of of which of of managing love with another and person and i don't it's know true. why because he's very normal but he's very normal but i i could i had another reading on it while watching it i thought you could watch this film and see it as a guy who actually has been bitten by a rabid bat and has contracted rabies and he's slowly going demented because of rabies because he has these tics do you ever see do you, do you notice his tics where his jaw kind of starts spasming at times where he goes <laughs> like that and the the violence and uh, all that sort of stuff that he gets involved with I was like oh, no, he's got rabies that's what's wrong he wanted to be happening. really bitten by a bat and the director had to convince him that if you get bitten <laughs> by a bat Nicholas you're gonna die and that's when he decided not to do it and did you guys notice the cockroach scene Fuck oh, yeah. yeah! What about you, Jamie? I I mean, I'd heard about it. <laughs> that was his idea. It was <gasps> no it was supposed way. to be something else, like a like a, a raw egg or something. And he said, "No, fuck a baby." <laughs> hey, Kevin, set it up for the listeners. What is the cockroach scene for those who haven't actually seen the film? So, yeah, Nicolas Cage takes out uh, Casey Lemons on a date. They are in a bar, which you know, there's one thing I want to mention about that bar. They do a, a sort of a, a pan across this theater. Uh, that's packed out and everybody's drinking and right in the back of the scene at the bar leaning over having a drink is David Hyde Pierce 
and he's just in there as no an extra. Way. And I saw his name, I saw his face, and I thought, oh, he's got to pop up again later on. He doesn't. So, oh. in 1989, I think he was probably just taking on some extra work to uh, to help him get by. But yeah, he's in there anyway. He is on a date with uh, Casey Lemons. He takes her back to his place. A bat comes in to his apartment, starts flying around the place, and from there, Nicholas Cage starts to think that he has been bitten by a bat, uh, uh, a bat, a vampire bat, and is turning into a. No, he—that's not it's what happens later on. It no. starts his obsession back, with thinking. I'll about be honest it. with you guys; I can't remember this film. I only watched it yesterday. Well, <laughs> what happened was. He meets Jennifer Beals. Ever since the bat comes in, once the bat comes into his place, he's a bit kind of like obsessed with the bat. And he's out on a night out with some of his buddies and he's just completely disinterested in him. And he notices Jennifer Beals sitting on her own in the corner and he goes over and chats her up. And we cut yeah, to them. That's the bar with David I. Pierce's. Oh, right. And then we cut to them in bed. He's presumably taking her home and she bites his neck. And it's pretty quick. It's a pretty quick transition of he's being bitten what, in the neck. What also happens after that is that... The next morning, after she maws his neck, and it, it looks like it's a, it, literally uh, a woman who's a vampire is, is feeding off of him. Yeah. He brings in tea to her the next morning or coffee, and there's nobody in bed. And you get to see that yeah. it, this is all um, a figment of his imagination. But it doesn't stop Nicolas Cage from committing to this insanity and acting more and more deranged. And like the light is affecting him. It's what he does to Alva. He's gotten this assistant, Alva, as we say, played by um, Maria Conchita Alonso. Alonso. And he's he he's gotten word from one of his clients that they that he wants a, he wants a contract. His client wants a contract, and Nicolas Cage goes batshit crazy. Excuse the pun at Alva to say to get this bloody contract and Alva poor Alva is just tormented by him and uh, is you know is terrified of him because he's just fucking going crazy at her uh, and he's so wicked and awful See, that when the client says oh yeah I don't need that don't worry about it he still torments and tells her, her oh no actually your contract. man's really annoyed I hope you're like I hope you're happy it's it's kind of his relationship with her which is I think it's it's one of those things where like, you know, you often say, oh, this would never get made today. But his stalking of her, his treatment of her is like starts out as just being, he's a shit boss. Like he's just not very pleasant, but then it gets more and more icky and creepy until culminating where yeah. it's like uh, chasing, like the chasing her down into the women's bathroom. And uh, I like that where there's like the older secretary there and she's like what the fuck is going on here <laughs> typical New Yorker you could view this film as a comedy aside from the relationship that he has with with her yeah yeah it gets very dark with yeah her. he's he is hilarious and but there's like two there's the scene with her there's the scene much later on in the nightclub where he's got the fake fangs on and that it's it's <laughs> yeah. like it's sort of play it is funny because like you know you know, jumping forward, but like he comes across like to this woman thinks he's kind of funny and goofy, like he's because Nicholas Cage is doing that thing where he's hunching up his shoulders so he's got no neck, like he's really Nosferatuing it around. Yeah, he based it literally on that. And she's laughing, and he's like sort of like you know rubbing his hands over her her neck, and she's thinking it's hilarious until he starts um, actually biting her. And that scene <laughs> and the one where he chases. Um, Alva into the the basement of the building and rapes her. 
Well, it's it, yeah. The, the scene itself is just he's he's rips he, he's ripping off to, to to bite her throat, but then um, and then he tries to shoot himself, and it's for all intents and purposes that scene with her is played as a, as a sexual assault, and that's you know spurs the end of the movie. But it's a it's a it's funny because he is so funny, and he is even when he's just as as, as you guys are saying like him just standing still in the middle of the room and he's just hilarious like the, the expressions he sort of runs through he's doing full body acting yeah it, it's you know it reminded me of um uh like when willem dafoe is playing um nosferatu in that uh what was that movie with the um, shadow of the vampire shadow of the vampire and he's got this there's a scene where like i think like someone's there's light about to come through a window willem dafoe does this really like just just like in the last Friday, he just does this like reaction to the window, like and pulls back and ducks out of frame. And it's that movies as well is Shadow of the Vampire is uh, it's a it's a kind it's a black comedy in many ways, like about, about filmmaking in that sense. But um, yeah, the the, the vampire vampire's kiss is a it's a real odd one tonally because it, it it could be a comedy, but the music is playing like this is a really serious. Um, like a horror great movie. music great music and it's as as you said like that the cameras the, the cameras shoot they shoot new york in a very ominous looking way and even the apartment he looks in is kind of has a cathedral look to it um but then like cage is just going like he's just going for it like he's every scene he's going yeah. it's a scene like i've got written down in my notes here random mimes like he goes back to his apartment yeah and the director doesn't know why he included that in the film there's a moment where he's coming back to his apartment and this film was non-union so they were getting they were getting heckled and and picketed by union guys throughout the film so anything they were shooting out in the street there was usually a cordon you know uh, just off screen Mm -hmm. with guys shouting and trying to ruin takes but there's a moment where uh, Nicholas Cage returns back to his apartment and outside the building are two mimes having a fist fight. Yes. Where they're so committed yeah. to being mimes that they're acting as if a fake punch is a real punch. Bizarre. Yeah. But what I wanted to say earlier but, on, I need to finish the point because we, we jumped about six, on. seven times before I got <laughs> there, was Nicholas Cage finds a cockroach on his cooker countertop and he yeah. eats it and it's a real live cockroach. Yeah, and he really regrets doing that. But you know, they did twenty-seven takes. And- not as not as much as the cockroach did. <laughs> not as much as any of the twenty-seven cockroaches did. I imagine they got a lot of stick for that. But he said, if any of those people who are complaining about me keep killing the cockroach have ever used a can of bug spray, then um, they don't have any grounds to complain. Were they complaining because it was a non-union cockroach? <laughs> yes. You're talking about the mime thing because I think this film is so well fucking written. There are so many, like, you know, lovely beats along the film where Cage, even from his office, is looking down the street early in the film and he sees a couple, this kind of like, you know, a happy dating couple on the sidewalk. Yeah. He uh, he later on is... Um, like you know is uh, in a in a diner and he was listening to a couple of girls behind him talking about their happy marriage and he flips out not not to, if getting engaged or something like that he flips out and then the the mime artist thing with this kind of fighting couple mime artists so he's desperately 
whether he, and I couldn't quite pin it down. Well, he does at the end say that, oh, I just want a relationship. I just want to be loved. And I do want to get into the final act and those final beats. But well, can I tell you who wrote clearly, the film? I would love to know who wrote the film. It's written by Joseph Minion. And Joseph Minion's other big credit. And I think oh, you after- noticed the correlation. Yes, Jamie, you say it. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm so, yeah, so it was After Hours, right? <laughs> yes, it's After Hours. So yeah. Wow. So I think After Hours and this would be a, a very good double feature. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, this film is something else. And as Jamie was, well, as Jamie was saying, you were saying, you can watch this film and see it as, this could be a straight horror film if it was, if, if, or a drama or a thriller, right? If, okay, some of the story decisions later on weren't taken, or if you had a different actor who was playing it completely straight and wanted, if you had Christian Bale in the role, I wonder how this film would have I don't uh, think it out. would work nearly as good. I think this, this is, only Nicolas Cage could play it. I, I've heard about this movie for many years, but I, I hadn't seen it. But one of the bits of trivia I had heard. How did you hear about this film? In what context? Was it being recommended to you? Um... I think it was a buddy of mine had seen it years ago and I'd heard of it for years. Cause then there was, cause after Cage was making, it was around like, you know, he's doing, uh, raising Arizona and, yeah. uh, Moonstruck and, uh, what were the other sort of movies he, he was doing around then he did this thing called deadfall, which I've only seen a trailer for, but it looks mental. And then around, he was doing 96 um, wings of the Apache. Yeah. Oh, never heard. yeah. That was ninety, about ninety one, ninety, yeah, yeah nineteen, nineteen one. And then ninety six, he did The Rock, and with with Sean Connery, and Michael Bay, and then he did a whole string of action movies for like 10, 10 15 years. He was just yep. doing leaving Las Vegas, cracking action. Films. Oh, and <laughs> cracking action. Well, uh, and, but the, he was getting most of his big paychecks for doing things like the National Treasure movies and Con Air and Face Off, and people were. Sort of, a lot of people were, would have known him only through those. Whereas, I think the first I'd remember, or Wild at Heart, I was thinking Wild at Heart and Raising Arizona, always like just fixed together in my head. I think he did those pretty sim- close together, right? Yes. It was just like I was aware of Nicolas Cage from like things like Raising Arizona, Wild at Heart, and, and people were saying, oh, his early, like his 80s stuff and uh, Moonstruck. I've never, still never seen Moonstruck. Uh, and uh, Vampire's Kiss and a friend of mine sort of who really does like that kind of um, sort of exaggerated physical comedy that you could argue that Nicolas Cage is doing in this movie he'd said like oh that's, you should check it out and but at some point then I'd heard he did a uh, the, the original actor who was up for this and dropped Who's out that? was Dennis Quaid oh whoa it just wouldn't have been the same film. And he dropped out to do Inner Space. Oh, oh my goodness. Well, we looked wow. out. We got two good movies. Yeah, that's true. What, like, I think I've already said it, but what Cage brings to this film is the comedic heart and a despicable character that you love to hate and you enjoy hating. Do you hate when him? When he's being horrible. Oh yeah, I hate him. Do you? When he's been horrible. When yeah. he goes to Alva. <laughs> Do you? When he is tormenting Alva. But he is tormenting her in a way that actually makes me laugh out loud. And I want to see him get his just desserts at the end of this film. They did a test screening of the film and the audience 
were in hysterics. There's a much longer cut of this film, uh, and Cage thinks that all of his best character stuff is on the cutting room floor and that he would love to have seen that stuff reinstalled. But they did a test screening and the audience absolutely fucking loved every time he was being abusive to Alva. So, you know, I think people also, were, were on board with this being a very, very black comedy. And as despicable as he is, because he's a fucking bully and he's a, he's a mentalist and he's a, a harasser of women and, and a sex pest and all that, he gets his comeuppance and it's a very ironic ending which comes about. So I think we, we have permission to enjoy how despicable he is. Yes, I think so. Absolutely. Knowing how he ends up. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if he got the girl at the end, then I would feel like the politics of the film are so off-centre that I would end up resenting it. But because of where it goes, it, it allowed me to feel okay about laughing at, at stuff that was going on in the film. It's the whole relationship with her was another thing that made me think of American Psycho, the way that uh, Christian uh, Slater, uh, Christian Slater, Christian Bale's relationship with Chloe Savini. She's like his secretary. And at some point, I think, I'm, I haven't seen it a long time now, but he, he invites her over with the intention of murdering her. But, and I thought like, oh, is this going to be a thing where, because he was, he sort of, he's lusting after Jennifer Beals, who's biting him. And he's also sort of like fucking around with Cassie Lemons and, I was like, oh, right. And is this, is this movie going to turn to one of those things where he says, oh, love was under his nose all along. And so I was kind of happy that it was so dark. And I was like, oh, no, he's just going to get worse and worse. Like, he is a horrible person to her. Well, um, yeah. So I was glad that in a way that he didn't. But at the same time, it was hard, tough to watch. Well, where it goes towards the end uh, had me doubting whether any of the scenes in the movie actually happened. Because when he comes clean to his therapist and I properly guffawed but when he comes clean to his therapist he says two nights ago I raped someone and she she responds oh it's just a little release of the aid and he goes and also I I killed someone and she said oh Peter people die all the time in this city run along enjoy your romance I'll take care of the cops and I just thought (laughs) wasn't he on the phone in the street and he was hallucinating that whole thing He's, the, he's, he's walking, he walks into a wall like when his, his hair is disheveled and he's covered in blood and carrying around a stake, you know, harassing people to try and stab him with it. And he bumps into a wall and suddenly like it just keeps cutting between him and his mind talking to the psychiatrist. And he's also in his mind, he's standing on a window ledge. He's standing right yeah. up on the window. It's a very odd shot. It's an amazing shot. So that particular shot is absolutely amazing. Yes. And he's, 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 that whole, and then the whole exchange, you just know something's off about it because he's just, his hair is completely back in place again. And he's, you know, carrying this, uh, this still this ridiculous stake. And she's just, as, as you say, Kev, he's like that thing, like, oh, people get murdered every day. And yeah, that, that, that had me laughing a lot. Um, and just his sort of, betrayal, yeah. well, I did, you know, I did murder someone. <laughs> it just has this like stupid shrug. It's just like very funny. I really think this is a this film is a great example of having your cake and eating it, right? Because it does two really clever things. One, we, I, I you know, it's probably a, a standard screenwriting tool or, 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 or kind of rule or whatever advice. If you have a character that's despicable and doesn't change throughout the course of the story, 
they kind of have to get their punishment. The story gods have to punish them at the end of the story. It's like a real Grecian thing, I believe. But we kind of get that. We get that. But also, we get the happy ending. The Nicholas, the, the ending that you were just talking about, that scene in the, the psychiatrist's office. That's his happy ending. So we get a happy ending and we get his comeuppance, like together in one film. So it kind of does this amazing balancing act of satisfying both aspects of the story and i think that's 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 an incredible feat that this i i really love the fact that he has this like imaginary ending the psychiatrist is like oh i should introduce you to my other patient she's also looking for love and then they go off and then it cuts to him in his in reality like where he's shuffling along the street talking to her and you're just of course only hearing his side of the conversation yeah but by the time it takes him to like just walk from the street corner into his apartment He's screaming at them, like, calling her a fucking cunt. And he's like, <laughs> he says cunt like, about two or three times in this film, and I was shocked that they could get away with that back then. I yeah, it was like I I, um, I don't know if it's just the the, the the it wasn't the time. I mean, American cinema has always been very like hesitant of using that word. Well, but especially of that word, like that does not like that's the big guns. They pull that out for like the R-rated movies. They don't. Uh, they don't use that lightly. And yeah, Nicolas Cage uses that word quite a lot. And not in the affectionate uh, Glaswegian way. <laughs> Jennifer Beals was cast on this movie on a Monday and she started filming on a Tuesday. And she was a last minute replacement no for another actress who dropped out. <laughs> I, have an, I have another bit of trivia because I, I must admit, I didn't mean to. Go on. But I was looking, I had to look up an actor's name on Wikipedia after I saw it. And so I had two bits of trivia I got from the Wikipedia page. And I've been keeping them under my hat. But the first one was that apparently, and this is this could be complete conjecture, was that Nicolas Cage did not get on with Jennifer Beals because he wanted his own then-girlfriend to be cast in the role and she didn't get it. Who was his girlfriend? Oh, wow. Patricia Arquette. Oh, oh she would have wow. been good. She would have been good. But uh, the other trivia, which is a much more weirder and darker one, which was that the writer... Uh, wrote it about in a state of depression as his marriage was falling apart. And his wife, his then wife, is one of the producers on this movie. And apparently so he said he was sort of... So on her? Yes. And she apparently was horrified when they saw the... when the, when the movie got made. Um, but he enjoyed but it. Apparently... He enjoyed it. But then he doesn't come out... If, like, if, that's, if you look at that reading, he doesn't come out of it very well. I mean, the Nicolas Cage character, although very entertaining because it's Nicolas Cage, he uh, he's despicable. He's by by a long country mile the the, well, let's, the worst character in this movie. Let's fill people in a little bit because the film is very rambling and there there isn't much of a plot. So things sort of just roll along as he becomes more and more erratic. And the, the only thing that's sort of holding things together is whether Maria Conchita Alonso is going to find this file that he's asking her to look for, which doesn't really matter. I guess his bullying of her is what becomes his great undoing because when he takes it to such an extreme where he assaults her, but she tells her brother, she goes home and she's in a a, a bleak depression over what happened to her. And she confides in her brother that, something happened and the brother is a mechanic and she has kept a gun on her which has been unloaded uh he gave her some blanks to use and those are the ones which Nicolas Cage used on himself after that encounter but when she tells her brother what happened the brother decides well this is not going to stand 
And that's what becomes Nicolas Cage's undoing. I love so much about this film. I'm already tipping my hand here. But uh, that Did you like particular it? aspect of blood. No, I didn't really. But there was overall, <laughs> I thought it was grand. The that uh, um, Maria's character, Alva's sorry, Alva. How first of all, how we we see how sexual politics were dealt with back in the eighties when she goes home after she's told that her boss is a fucking psychopath and that she's out sick from work. Both of her parents and her brother basically tell her, "Suck it up." Go in. He's just, he's your boss. He's supposed to do Nobody that. Nobody likes just suck it boss. up and get on with it. But she didn't yeah. tell her mother that he uh, um, had gone that far with her. No, that hadn't happened yet. But initially, he had been real. He, 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 he chased her really, into the lady's bathroom. Yeah, been a real monster to her. And what I found in on in one way horrifying, but also, also kind of entertaining, was how Nicolas Cage, on multiple occasions, Whilst he's way, whilst her favor of him back, like he goes down when he goes out to her apartment in Queens or wherever she is, and she gives him a second chance. She has no one on her side to say, "Oh, you should tell that guy go <laughs> as fuck soon himself." As she does he goes fucking apoplectic in the the back of the taxi, <laughs> and a taxi driver doesn't react. No, and <laughs> he's there's like, you fucking cunt. And and she says she says to the taxi driver, "Oh, would you mind if I pull over here? I've got to give my brother some money or something like that." And it, well, that's a coincidence that her like the he's dri- <laughs> taxi she's driver's driving by her brother's apartment. Are you married? I her Yeah, but then she goes to her brother, and her brother is like going, "Ah, it's fine." You know, she's tell- like, "It's it's amazing how she's left out to fend for herself until Nicolas Cage does cross a line and." To be fair to her brother, her brother does stand up for him then, or up for her then, which a uh, fair play to her. It's like, you know, I would have, uh, I we should have filed a complaint with human resources like from fucking day one. But like the bathroom thing, I was like going, nah, nah. Like, and there's a witness, like there's I the think woman who's that like sitting there. Don't ever deal with human resources in a job unless you're a thousand percent certain that they're going to back you against their own boss. I think you're much better off in those situations getting out of the job. There's a, there was another... That's a bit of life advice. Where... That's a bit of Kev life advice. <laughs> <laughs> take it out. Take, take it to heart, kids. Yeah. Um, there's a bit where one of the secretaries, like Nicholas Cage, is again, one of almost every scene in the movie where he just made me laugh by walking in with the sunglasses and just like stopping and like, t- like just rattling some pencils in... Uh, on your one's desk and then it moves on to the next secretary and she's got like a little fluffy toy he just picks it up and the th- just drops it in the ground and then moves on and one one of the secretary's like he's so eccentric and I was like baby he's not eccentric he's a fucking asshole <laughs> <laughs> and you know what I think sorry go on Jamie no no I just got it like that that eccentric like that's the way like some people in and maybe this is just like a thing about um how certain people get away for certain shit in certain in, in, in their situation for so long. It's like people are like, oh well they've done. Yeah, he's not crazy. He's not an asshole. He's just eccentric. And it's like, no, no, he's a crazy fucking asshole. Like he's he's fucking lunatic. Nicholas Cage I, showed this film to a, a girlfriend and he was recounting this to GQ in 2018. And he said um it scared her so much that she got up and left. <laughs> Jesus Christ. You know you know what I loved about his character in this? Not loved, but enjoyed about his character and how despicable he is, is that we see him in different in, in different roles in his life. We see him 
how he's with Alva and how he's just a monster to her. We see how he's a slave to Rachel, the vampire uh, Jennifer Beals. But then we also see him in the boardroom with his boss and he's a complete lick arse. He's just, it's just that he's over laughing at the boss's jokes. He's just, oh, but he that's what you're supposed to do. Up his boss. Not a bit of Kev life but advice. I, lick the arse of your bosses. That's how you get but ahead. What I liked about it is that in each role, Cage goes and the character goes to an extreme. You know, it just really, he's not just an asshole all around to everyone. He's not inside the boss office going, oh, fuck you, boss. But he's, he's just this whimpering, just. Would you say, just, just, would you say that Nicolas Cage, his, his character Peter, is a vampire to his boss? Oh, I can hear, I can hear the. Uh, he's sucking he's him a, off rather than sucking his neck. He's sucking, so, oh, right. I would say he's a vampire to Alva. I think he's Alva, Alva's vampire, a psychic vampire. Oh, oh we got we got competing uh, PhD papers here. Yeah. <laughs> I I think Rachel's cocaine. I was there writing another one. I says, what if Rachel's actually a metaphor for cocaine? You know that he's just addicted to cocaine. Can I ask before just the, uh, you, there's a bit early on where the psychiatrist is saying something along the lines of, you know, your problem is that you don't you don't feel you've got what you're owed. Maybe I'm paraphrasing here, and it it's sort of and then later on when he meets, well, vaguely spoiler warnings, the real Rachel, and she just barely remembers him. Yeah, and he's like screaming that she's a vampire, she's a vampire, and her and her boyfriend is going like, "Well, that's kind of weird." Oh, by the way, terrible fucking bar security in that nightclub. I gotta say, (laughs) I I underlined it several times. Nicholas, everybody was wearing trainers, but everyone runs. Everyone's queuing up. He barges through. The bar, the the door, the bouncer tries to stop him. He punches the de- bouncer in the stomach, and then just walks in. Good night. This is like flats, flatsing around. A, like I've worked in nightclubs. He, there should have been like at least minimum like two, three door staff down there. And once you punch someone in the stomach, like the first thing that guy's doing is like getting on the radio and be like, "Okay, you're looking for like this guy with fake teeth in there." Like just kick it, the- and then he just walks around and he kill he he bites a woman in the neck. <laughs> In a quiet corner, and then yeah, but this was New York. Like when he screams at the two people walking on the street, those people weren't actors; they weren't extras. They were just people. In <laughs> I, I underlined that. Is it those the, people the in New York? Really so this was, as Nicholas Cage said, pre-Giuliani. There were moments where they had to move dead bodies out of the street in order to film there. So it was no rife with crime at the time. Oh my god. Can I highlight a couple of my favorite Nicolas Cage moments in this film? Go for it. And there one of them was after he uh, uh tries to rape or rapes Alva down in the basement and he starts <laughs> crying. He literally goes boo hoo. Boo hoo. I love that. On the audio commentary he said he struggled to try and make boo hoo sound natural. And I thought you didn't try to make any of this natural. So why was this <laughs> difficult for you at that moment yeah oh fuck me pink and then when he's running down the street after that he's running down and he's literally is this his meme when, he, when he's screaming at like passes by and he's going i'm a vampire i'm a vampire and another moment that had me laughing out loud was when he goes to try he goes into a, a kind of a, a costume shop and he wants to get the vampire's teeth and the, the guy says, oh, we've got good vampire's teeth. And like, they look really, you know, convincing. But they're $20 and he's only got like a couple $3, of bucks. Yeah. So he's $3. And he says, well, I've got these. And there's kids' vampire's teeth. So Did you ever wear those? They're really uncomfortable. 
oh awful <laughs> like, like yeah my kid had 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 vampire teeth and they're so painful Cut your gums off. so he's going around he goes around for scenes wearing these awful and that's these are the teeth he used then to to kill a woman in a nightclub well no uh, I think he, he he gets rid of the teeth and bites her with his own teeth when oh he, really yeah I think I I, I stopped that seeing this played it back again <laughs> <laughs> oh man so oh, man. look uh, is there anything else you want to add Jamie um no, I, I think Will jumped in there. What about the, your friend? The Does he have anything he wants to say? Get your mad buddy on. We've seen vampires, guys. <laughs> I I've never seen this guy in the office until tonight. Like it's this, it's a big office space, and like I I, I don't recognize the guy. Never seen him before. So Imagine I'm if like, it was Nick Cage. Yeah, Jesus, that would be awesome. And I want to add another thing that I love. Okay, about this was how he turns how he makes his own coffin in his apartment. <laughs> oh, yeah. black couch upside down. It's like how you'd build a camp in your bedroom Fucking as a kid. Genius. Genius. And he's like, you know, he's basically just living the life of a vampire. It's got like, and that's it. It's like a kid playing vampire. That's what it is. Except all of this is he's like a, lunatic. a kid playing vampire. All right. Yeah, that's it. So who is your MVP of the film, Will? I truly have so many MVPs because I thought this was a very, very, very accomplished film, but it has to go to Nicolas Cage. I genuinely think this is one of my favourite Nicolas Cage performances. Wow. It's up there at the top, truly. Wow. I think he elevates this. This film is a good film anyway, but he brings it up a level through his, up to another level by his performance alone. He brings the comedy. He brings so much to every scene. He's so committed. He... Uh, I, I truly loved his performance in this film. It was fucking batshit crazy, another pun. There we I'm go. Not, I'm not, I'm not, <laughs> I don't regret it at all. So that's my MVP. What about you, Jamie? Well, I already, I already mentioned mine, uh, but it's the, it's the senior secretary in the bathroom when he, when he, <laughs> Nicholas Cage runs in after he says, what's fucking going on here? And then she just sort of like strolls out like, I've given as much energy as I can to this problem. And now I just, I, my, I don't give a shit anymore. And just walks out. <laughs> I was like, oh, she's great. I wanted to see her again, like, you know, just shouting at Nicolas Cage. But no, that was a one and done scene. I think she, or I think she, she sees her talking to Alva a little afterwards. But uh, that made me, that made me laugh. The psychiatrist as well. Her final scene, I was just like. Elizabeth Ashley. Yeah. I mean, she's a really accomplished yeah. actress. If you look up her credits, she's done tons of things. What about you, Kevin? What about your MVP? Look, this film doesn't work without Nicolas Cage, but I have to say, looking up the director of this, because I thought it was really well directed, and for a $2 million film, and shooting in New York City, this looks like it, it, it's a $20 million film. It looks like I, no expense was spared. I agree with you. It's a great Nicolas Cage movie, but I'm going to give it to the director, because... The director of this was, as I said, he, he, he hasn't worked now since 2012. I don't know if he's retired or what have you. He ended up working a lot on British television, doing Holby City, Casualty, not the most auspicious of television. And I think he, if he was still going now, maybe he'd be working on some great top tier uh, TV. But uh, he was going to do The Fly, the David Cronenberg film before this. And oh. he pulled out uh, at the last minute when his daughter died. Um, and he's never watched the film because of that, because he had such a, a connection to the material. He was going to make it. He had a script and he had his interpretation of it. And uh, 
that was a very interesting thing to learn about his career. So that he went from having that moment, which would have made him essentially, you know, doing the fly with Mel Brooks and, and such a big budget to then doing this film, which as we do on all of these episodes or as we plan to do, it was a, a commercial flop. It's now, I think, become a, a really well-known cult film. Um, but he did something really special with the film. And it's a shame that he didn't get to do more films. So I'm going to give it to him. I think that Robert Berman did brilliant work on this. Oh, and he got a great performance out of Nicolas Cage. Mm-hmm. It's a great film. It's a great, great film. And it is, I suppose, it, this film does something that I hoped this series of uh, podcasts would do, which is find a gem and amongst uh, and amongst uh, summer flops. And I genuinely didn't think we would find one. And for me, this is a gem of a film. I thought, I think it is uh, an incredible portrait of a despicable character, but it is entertaining from beginning to end. It's just a uh, really well-made film. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And Beautiful it's really look. refreshing in 2022 when we're getting such formulaic uh, plastic movies to see something which is so avant-garde and oddball. Yeah. I'm going to recommend this film. Jamie, do you recommend it? Uh, yeah, I'm going to give it uh, one and a half fluttering bats around a room. I, I was chasing a bat around <laughs> Out of what, two? <laughs> yeah, out of well, I get I get out of five. Like how many bats? It's like oh, I guess you didn't like it then. Oh, I liked it. I liked it. It's, One and a half bats out of five is a pretty damning three, score. No, three, three, three and a half out of five. Oh, okay. I was trying to get my my bats in order there. I was trying to think like three bats. <laughs> when they're moving so fast, it is hard. They are hard to count. I think it's like th- three bats, three bats, and one Nicolas Cage. I was chasing a bat around a room about a month ago uh, for a good half an hour. It is they're really difficult to oh yeah to try and catch. How did you did you actually man? How did you do it? What what was your technique? Uh, well, I, the, in the past, get it, Johnny. Uh, get it, Johnny. Go on, throw it, throw a t-shirt on it, or I just, I just wait, I just wait. It was tired, and then grabbed it, and then threw it at the door, or I didn't wow. throw it at the door, or just let it like just cling onto my clothes. Threw it at traffic. <gasps> you let it cling onto your clothes. Well, it, it, yeah, it sort of flew and then landed on my on my shirt. I just like put my oh. hand so it couldn't get away, and then I walked outside. And just let it be wild. If that happened to me, I w- I would reach notes only dogs could hear. About it, Jeep. <laughs> We've had a few bats in this house, actually, and I've gotten them out by opening all the doors, or just creating a kind of a, a highway for it to get out and just hiding in a corner with a, with a tea towel and wait until they took flight and then just start waving my tea towel and just hoping to usher it out the door. And it's worked. Every time it's worked. It worked better than Nicholas Cage. I don't know what he is swinging at that bat in, the, in, the, in that early scene. It's, and it's also a very, very big bat. So I guess yeah. his trepidation is kind of justified. And it was a real bat. It was not a real bat. It was a real bat, but it was stuffed. That was the... That, if you want to hear... One, my, my least favourite thing about this film was that bat scene. It was the worst. It was so fake. It was awful looking. And I want to say... I loved it. It was my favourite bit. This this film. I loved this film. I thought this film was great. Good. I read it. I highly recommend it. Good. All right. I'm going to spin the wheel for you, Will, for our next episode. But Jamie, okay. it was yes. lovely to have you on again. Where can people find you? Uh, well, I'm intermittently on Twitter, uh, Jamie dot dot dot. Uh, 
uh, yeah, that's it. That's my Twitter handle. <laughs> uh, and that and is dot, dot, dot spelled out. It's not... D-O-T, D-O-T, D-O-T. It just yeah. seemed like a really good idea about 13 years ago and has uh, progressively been a less great idea because I keep having to spell it out at every <laughs> bank. And I think that's just Twitter in general. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah. Well, great to have you on, Jamie. Thanks for doing this. Yes, Thanks for having um, me. Thanks for helping me watch that movie. For me having a series of brain farts throughout this but I love the film and I'm, I'm glad we watched it and I'm spinning the wheel for you now Will and right. the year is is go on 2007 2007 I am going for a Pirates of the Caribbean movie I assume good I okay know. well then Jamie Terminator and Will you'll be back next week and I'll skip this <laughs> on the next episode <laughs> alright well Great we'll stuff. let you go Take care, everybody. Thanks, Jimmy. All right. Good luck. Good night. Take care. And I'm eating stuff. And here is a clip from the lad's latest mini bits bonus show. The full episode, plus 100 more, are available on their Patreon. The best bits with Will and Kevin. No, the best bits with Kevin and Willem. For the films and the, the TV and the latest films. Something, something, something. something. Um, don't forget that you owe us three euro. <laughs> you okay. can't remember what. <laughs> oh my God. I, I did a whole Irish theme. The best bits with Kevin and Willem. Talking TV and the Okay, right. I'm going to find the fucking thing. Because it's going to be the music to start the episode. I don't think I've heard this. You have. Well, maybe you haven't. I don't think I have heard this. I do. I suspect that what you do is you just put the laugh and emoji thing and think I'll listen to that some other time. Fuck it, that'll do. Because it's bound to be funny in his eyes. So I'll just tell him what he wants to hear. I actually only laugh the emoji when I've actually listened. (laughs) I should have taken the hint that nobody was responding to the Podbot one. Like nobody was giving me any reaction to it. And oh. I thought they hadn't listened to it yet. And then, yeah. of course, I was delighted with that, and people hated it. <laughs> <laughs> it's not. It was. It was. It wasn't easy on the ears in a, in the sense that it was just her monotone voice. So there was no up and down. That's the thing. Yeah, I know. I tried my best. You're a bug, and I'm a feature. Pray to this mantis, or I'll eat you. And if you don't know my name, here's an update to teach you. I'm I'm, I'm Hogwarts, and I'm the future. An AI podcasting computer, the number one zero one zero zero one one producer. I'm a psycho yeah, That's exactly so. Don't forget, now you owe us three euro. I come off the stage. Not, I've not, I've, I've not heard this. I swear to God. I'm going to send it to you right now, and you can get a genuine reaction. I'll actually listen to it. So I'm, I have my WhatsApp open. The best is Kevin Willem about the telly and the latest film. Talking shite at the dynamic duo. Don't forget, now you owe three euro. Come off the stage, old dad. <laughs> That's genuinely my first time hearing that. <laughs> I just could easily have just scrubbed it from my memory. That's the other thing that could have happened. How do you operate? I, 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 I generally just go on impulses. So if I need to toilet, I just toilet. And does, I don't, that doesn't necessarily mean or I need to be in the proximity like a of a toilet. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. You just go. I just nappy it, Kevin. I just man, I just adult nappy it. Oh, we've got loads to talk about. Yes, um, I've watched a load of things. So have I. But I think I should get 
one thing off my chest straight away because I think the discourse out there sometimes can feel really artificial to me and it can feel like people will films to be worse than they are in order to have something to point at and ridicule and sort of create content about. Should I start the timer? Have have we just started? Start the timer because I'm raring to go. I saw Madam Web. Right. I honestly, guys, know nothing. All I all I know is I saw a poster oh, very recently. It went, there's a Madam Web film, and I'm what is this? So it's a Spider Verse adjacent Marvel movie. Yeah, it's it's one of these Sony things where they did Venom and they're doing Craven the Hunter, okay. and it's sort of an offshoot of the Spider-Man movies. But I don't right. know what universe they're in because they're trying to blend them all together. So is this the Tobey Maguire Spider Verse? To me, it feels like it's in that space. Mm. Anyway, I thought I'm done with superhero movies. I'm just over them. I watched Captain Marvel not re- long ago, and I thought it was just tedious. Are you it's so lifeless. The Marvels, not Captain Marvel. Is that what Marvels? Well, yeah. she's in it. Captain Marvel. Captain yeah. Marvel two. It was just sort of like it was another one of those films that felt like Ant Man in that everything was chemical and synthetic and fake and mm-hmm. airless. And, you know, you just have sound stage after sound stage. And I just feel profoundly depressed watching those films. I feel like yes, there's nothing organic happening in these. From the lines of dialogue, to the hairstyles, to the costumes, to the sets, to the music, to everything just feels... It's artificial, wafer-thin, just wafery, artificially, no sustenance, no satisfaction... You know protein in it whatsoever. You feel like, oh, yeah. wow, I just I just put something down my throat and I'm still hungry. It feels like eating plastic Okay, on the whole. It's just drifted so far away from what Iron Man was that I just don't care about them. Yet, I found The Flash really fun because it, was, it felt like a Bill and Ted type movie at times. It was off the wall bonkers and I don't really particularly give a shit about special effects. Whether they're good or bad, you know, I can buy into it because of the ideas behind it or the concepts behind it. So I wasn't like revolted by the, the special effects of the Flash. I just thought, you know, it's mm. funny to see babies falling out of windows and being put into microwaves and things like that. So I went to the Madam Web, not really giving a fuck about the genre, but I wanted to see it for the sake of having an opinion on it. And the trailer was awful. It had that terrible line reading in it from the Dakota Johnson where she's, she's shitting out exposition. And I think people had the film's cards marked at that stage. And uh, the film itself, to me, played like a Final Destination action thriller. And I thought it was really pleasant. It didn't bother me in the slightest. I didn't have any of the issues that everybody else has. It was uh, a reluctant hero with no superpowers whatsoever other than having premonitions, trying to keep three teenage girls alive against somebody who's like the evil version of Spider-Man who wants to murder them. And they just played it out in a very cinematic way where it felt like a Sam Raimi type Spider-Man. It looked as good as that. It was all real locations. For me, it felt like a lovely throwback to the Sam Raimi Spider-Man films. And I don't get why everybody loads the film. I thought it was just fun. Oh, wow. Uh, all I've yeah. seen is the negative discourse. And you're the first voice. I believe, you know, I haven't listened to the episode because I haven't watched the film yet. I know the Cinemile uh, had differing views. Oh, fuck. Me and Kathy, we were so far the only people that I know who don't think the film is dire. But 
Dave almost had a hernia on that episode. It was very <laughs> enjoyable listen to listening to it. <laughs> Oh, I have to listen to it. He was, I'm really curious. I'm really he was curious. disgusted because Caddy was pushing back and I thought it was very, very funny. And then when I saw it, I was like, do you know what? I am actually on the side of Caddy here. This is actually grand. Right. This is actually grand. So I, <laughs> <laughs> but you That's know so what? Funny. It didn't feel like a superhero movie. So I liked it for that reason. Oh, it's okay. I'm just going to look up some of the, the credits. And I like Dakota um, Johnson's performance as well. She was playing this sort of curmudgeonly antisocial character. And to put that type of person in the role of having to be a protector is actually really fun for me. And it's a role that you don't see many female characters inhabiting. That's more like a Harrison Ford type role. And um, I enjoyed it. So I don't get why everyone is shitting their britches over it. It's grand. Thank you.